0: Slash MV Bible or YouTube at youtube.com slash MV Bible Magic Valley Bible Church built on God's Word
1: Bibles and open them Jonah chapter three Jonah chapter three as we're singing I'm mindful that as the world presses against the church, against Christ, Christ moves in people's hearts. That was a pretty eventful week in my own life, thinking about each day and, and conversations and, and things about that. I received a, a phone call from one of our missionaries in Africa and I was just talking to him and he was just an utter excitement of what God is doing there. People are coming to the Lord. He goes, with all the restrictions, and of course in Senegal, they, they have the government that's really pressed upon them. The light of Christ is, is showing and people are getting saved in alleys and basements and in dark rooms. Why? Because people need hope. They need the understanding of salvation and it's just a joy to be able to encourage Him and, and rejoice with what God is doing. doesn't mean that there's not persecution there. and He's seeing that quite a bit. Um, I read an article up north where another Canadian church had its building taken away from it because they desired to gather and meet. And yet, the heart of the people was to continue to, to rejoice in God and to meet and not forsake the assembly. It just seems like it's all around us. It's all around us. And yet, God is in control and He's sovereign. And what a joy and delight it is to come this morning to. to to study the Scriptures and to know that this God is is the one that we worship. This is the one who changes people's lives and hearts, even disobedient prophets, right? I want to read our passage for us this morning. The title of today's sermon is that we serve a God of second chances, such as the case here with Jonah. I want you to look actually at the end of chapter 2 in verse 10 and follow along as I read the Word of God. It says, Then the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah up onto the dry land. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim to it the proclamation which I'm going to tell you. So Jonah arose, went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three days walk. And Jonah began to, to go through the city one day's walk, and he cried out and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. Let us pray. Father, again, we come to your word knowing that it is living and sharpening a two-edged sword. We know that it pierces our thoughts and, and, and causes us to think what is right, what is good. And your word demands change. I'm mindful of the text that we're in, Father, and just the joy it is to know that You are a God of second chances. Through disobedience of Jonah, Father, we know that You still called him and used him. It's remarkable to think about a city repenting and coming to the living God. It's remarkable to think of of how You continue to not give up on, on those who are Your sheep, those who... Sometimes are wayward. Your mercy, they're new every morning. Your grace sustains us. And so Father, I just pray that You'd help us to glean and dig out some riches here. The truth that's there. So we love You. I ask that You be with Your servant, Father. May Your Word be glorified. And may the name of Jesus Christ be lifted high. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. You know, as we come to this passage, I think it's, it's a simple reminder to remind ourselves of the continual reality that God is in control, that he's sovereign. And in his sovereign care, specifically excuse me, for Jonah, God makes a fish and commands the fish, as we see in verse 10 of chapter 2, to vomit Jonah up onto dry land. That in itself is a very picturesque idea. I mean, you think about that. I don't know if I was bombing it out of a great big fish, I think I would run to the shower, right? Of course, the text doesn't give us that. We kind of look into those things and see what's going on. But no doubt, as what we've studied and what we've already looked at in chapter 2, in Jonah's prayer, there was definitely a heart change. He realized that God was gracious to him. So much so that he can proclaim at the end of verse 9 of chapter 2 that salvation is from the Lord. Jonah was no doubt snatched away from intimate death. He he no doubt understands that God was gracious to him. And so his testimony is truly that, that Yahweh saves. And I just love it because often in the pages of scriptures, often in our living life, God shows up and he does his thing. His amazing grace is so remarkable to think about and when when, when he comes and he does save people. And so he shows up in a mighty way, not only to save Jonah, but cause him to see his goodness and his grace. And so what we see here in this transition from chapter 2 to chapter 3 is probably one of the most reassuring things for us as Christians to hear. I love this scripture because it's one of those things where when you read about it, especially in light of your own walk with Christ, is sometimes we make this Christian life a mess. And yet it says, in verse 1 of Jonah 3, that now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Oh, the patience and forbearance of our Lord to be able to, to, to have patience with Jonah. to show his grace again to him. A chance to to show a heart that is willing to do what is right. God is a God of second chances. I mean, that runs itself throughout the scriptures, does it not? I I think of King David who sinned in a most horrific way, not only in committing adultery, but also murder and then trying to cover it up. But in the kindness and grace of God, God sent a prophet to awaken his heart, the prophet Nathan, to be able to, to get him right a second chance. So much so that God would call him a man after his own heart. I think of King Solomon who was the richest man in the world. Who had everything this world had to offer. And yet in those search he found it all to be vanity. And there was only one thing that satisfied his soul and that was the Lord. He was able to reset his heart. He was able to understand the significance of what it means to have your eyes fixed on Christ. Again, a second chance. And then you think about nations. You think about Israel. How many times has Israel been so disobedient to the things and commands of God, and yet God is so patient to them? I don't know about you. We don't have that type of patience. We don't. We expect obedience the first time at least we demand it on others, but not ourselves, right? But Israel, time after time, again, they look at the world more than their living God and the commandments of God, again, a second chance. And then I think about the disciples. I think about Peter specifically, and I think that we can identify this, who denied our Lord three times in the midst of the most crucial aspect of, of the, our Lord's ministry, yet he was given a second chance. And what's remarkable about that, you read in the book of Acts, that second chance he did not take for granted, where scripture tells us that the apostles set the world on fire, upside down. He upset the whole world with the truth of the gospel and why we are even trickled all the way down to us as we gather here this morning. We serve a God who's a God of second chances. He's a God who never leaves nor forsakes you, even if you are unfaithful to Him. His mercies are new every morning. I think of Lamentations chapter 3, where great is thy faithfulness, and how His mercies are there every morning for our souls as we awaken its given day. By the way, beloved, His grace, His mercy, His forgiveness, it freshens our souls. It brings life to a dead soul. There is no sin greater than his grace. Amen? Our God is the God of second chances. And then when you look at Peter, this is kind of jumping out a little bit of our text here, but it's pretty significant to us because when we think about this God of second chances, you've got this dialogue with God and Peter, or God, how about Jesus and Peter? Same thing. It's interesting because when you go to Matthew 16, 17, you have this comparison with Peter and the prophet Jonah. Probably the two greatest men of God who, who who denied, walked away, ran away from the Lord's work. Matthew 16, 17 says this, And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon bar Jonah, which means son of Jonah, or son of John, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Of course, Jesus is commending Peter about his recognition that Jesus Christ is Lord and he is Savior. But in Matthew 16, 17, Jesus refers to Peter as Simon, the son of Jonah, which suggests a connection between uh, Peter and the prophet in Jonah, a connection between the apostle and the disobedient prophet. Now, you can study that a little bit yourself, and you can find that scholars have been all over the page on what Jesus really meant here, right? Right. Some lean to the fact that, you know what, there is no connection. Uh, That is just an abbreviated form of John, and and we know that to be Peter's biological father's name according to John one forty two. However, when you think about the similarities between Peter and Jonah, there's a lot jumping off the page. A great scholar by the name of Robert Gundry in his commentary on Matthew has effectively refuted this idea that this was just a a connotation to his his earthly father. And I love what he's done here because I, I, I see this too, that Jesus likely created a pun trying to get Peter. Now Peter would understand exactly what happened with the Old Testament prophets. And he's able to draw Peter's heart and attention to the, to the reality that, you know what, Peter? You have a heart much like the disobedient Old Testament prophet. I think Jesus is referring to Jonah's disobedience by running from the presence of the Word, uh, presence of God, and you think about that. Because what does Peter do? He doesn't want anything to do with Jesus. And he runs under cover. Of course, Scripture points to his denial three times and the cock crows and, and his heart is just melted on that reality that he has denied his Lord. This connection. I think there's there's a lot to be studied there and and yet I think it's it's interesting to understand that you see this running thread, how, how patient God is long-suffering with us even in the midst of our disobedience. And just like Jonah, Peter receives a second chance. A second chance to do what is right, to, to submit to the truth, to follow the Lord's command, to hear the Word of God a second time. And so it is very possible that Jesus used Jonah as an illustration for for Peter's own heart to be able to understand that the significance of what he is and what he does in people's lives. Also, here's another interesting characteristic or similarity. You think about what Jonah was called to do as being a prophet to Israel who was to go to a, a Gentile nation. And if you know anything about Peter... Remember when the vision came down and the rug and all the different animals, and now God is preparing his heart to now go to the, the Gentiles. And so you got this connection, and I think that is, is pretty neat to see in the scriptures where they both share a distinction on sharing the gospel to Gentile people. They were both sent, commissioned by God to preach to the Gentile that salvation is from God, from the Lord Jesus Christ. All that to say. That was just the interesting rabbit trail, to, to understand the significance of what our God is doing. Through Jonah's fish experience, even though it was unique, displaying the power in the hand of God, the principle of God giving a second chance is not, and that is so important for us today. As much as this is so supernatural, what has happened to God, or to Jonah, in this belly of the fish, we need to understand the principle behind the truth is that God is still a God of second chances. Beloved, the only reason we we are here this morning is because we have a a God who's persistent to pursue your soul. I hope you understand that. I was talking to my friend here earlier this morning and he was saying, oh, I wanted to to stay in bed. But I I heard a voice saying, get up and and go. And so he said, I thought it was wise to obey. And I agree, brother. Brother. It's wise to obey. All that to say, if you listen to even our own testimonies, my fellow saints, of how God graciously moves in our own lives and how God has been so merciful in giving a second chance, and it's solely because we have a God of persistent grace that we are serving Him today. It's His drawing, His continual love for us that brings us to this reality. I don't want you to think that it's okay to go out there and, and do your sin. I'm not saying that. Matter of fact, you have consequences for your disobedience. But what I am saying is that even in our weakness, God is greater. And His mercy is new. This is the God we serve. There's something else that pops out to us in our study of this passage, and that is that God is determined, and this is what's so remarkable, He's so determined that His servants will serve Him. That He goes to all these matters, we looked at this in the past, no matter what it costs Him, no matter what it costs them, is going to bring them to the point of obedience. That's why we say it's easier to obey quickly instead of learning the lesson to obey, right? We had a family conversation And, of course, parenting comes up and and there's always the charge that mom and dad are always harder on the older ones and the younger ones always get left scot-free. But you and I both know if we're observant and we see what happens to the older ones, we're wise to to learn real quickly not to do it. I say we because I'm the youngest of six. I saw the nature of what was disciplined, what was not disciplined in our own home. And, and I realized that, that I just got to be more crafty and make sure that I'm not caught when I do my sin. I guess what I'm trying to say is this. God does not deal with us half-heartedly. He goes after and pursues us in such a way that he will leave the 99 and go after the one wayward sheep. God is committed, of course, to his own glory, his own greatness, and he will manifest himself in the life of the believer in Jesus Christ no matter the cost. It's as if what we read earlier in John 15, that God will prune you for the sake for you to bear much fruit. By the way, beloved, that's why you're saved. Yes, you get personal benefit out of the reality that Christ has redeemed your soul, but you've been saved in such a way that you may bear much fruit for the kingdom and for Christ. In Jonah's case, we have learned these supernatural ways in which God will go through these great extremes to get his child back on course. God does not give up on his purposes and his design. For your life. That seems kind of fluffy, flowery, but understand the significance of a sovereign God who's able to to, to navigate in such a way as to draw you back to a place where you will become obedient. For Jonah, he was going to be God's tool, a vessel to be a a human instrument in the mighty hand of of a holy God to speak repentance to a city. I mean, that's remarkable in itself. I kind of want to jump ahead of just a little bit. I mean, you think about the message that he went to. The prophet says, yet forty days them will be overthrown, and all of a sudden the whole city just repents. The simplicity of that, we'll talk a little bit more about that. It's remarkable. It is precisely at this point that another truth pops up for us. I mean, it did just come come and flooding into our souls and our hearts when we look at the word. And that is God's dealing with Jonah was for one Hebrew sinner to get right with him so that a whole city of Gentile unbelievers would be saved. And I think that's kind of how I look at this passage. You can look at your outline. You see this equipping grace of Jonah to to recommission him and to bring him in in such a place where he sees the reality that it's okay. It's better to obey than disobey. And he comes to the end of his own rope and God says, I'm still here. And so there's this equipping grace that, that, that recommissions Jonah to, to go to an, a city, Assyrians, and call out for judgment. And so we titled this A God Who Never Changes, A God of Second Chances, A God Who Continues to Run After Us. And often He does that. He runs after you so He can continue to equip you with His grace. In turn so that we can proclaim Christ. It was the restoration of Jonah which was the means, if you think about this, was the tool for many Ninevite sinners to come to the Lord. And we see this, how this has manifested itself in how God gave equipping or restorative grace to Jonah. I mean, you think about grace, we, we use that term so Often and sometimes even flippant. Do you understand that grace is undeserved favor from a holy God to an undeserved sinner? He doesn't owe it to you, but He gives it to you. Grace that saves us, grace that sustains us, grace that that will usher us into eternity. This is the grace that God offers and gives. And sometimes why He gives it, I'm amazed. Why? Because I know my own heart. And so do you. You know your own heart. That God does not look the other way. That He extends His grace and He extends His mercy. Why? Because He's God. He's God. And so Jonah gets a second chance only to lead on this uh, this crusade, this revival to extend grace to a city. I want us to look at this. You can start seeing this unfold itself in verses 1 and 2, this equipping grace. Verse 1 and 2 says this, Now the word of the Lord came, or the word of Yahweh came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim to it the proclamation, which I'm going to tell you. I mean, all this sounds familiar. It should. We see a lot of similarities. What we see already in in verse 2, in verse 1 and verse 2 of chapter 1, you see these things going on. And by the way, when God says a second time, that shouldn't concern us, because we see that often with the prophets, especially Jeremiah, Jeremiah 1.13, Jeremiah 13.3, Jeremiah 33, you hear this God giving a word to the prophet a second time, even the prophet Haggai in 2.20. But what's interesting, even though those are happening, in those cases, it was, as you read the context of those verses, you know that God is adding on to his prophecy. He's adding on to what he wants the prophet to say. However, it's only this Verse. In Jonah 3.1, where Jonah, in this terminology of a second time, it signifies a second opportunity. It was another opportunity for him to render obedience to the divine command and the word of God. This is remarkable to think about. When you think about what God is doing, uh, there are some other differences and there's a a contrast that I want you to see. Jonah was given the command in in, in verse 2 of Jonah 1 to arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, cry against... Why? There's a motivation here. There's a reason why Jonah is being sent for. Their wickedness has come up before me. God gives him a motivating cause. I want you to go here because this is happening. However... When you look at Jonah chapter three, verse two, you don't see the motivating clause here. It doesn't mean that it's not necessarily there, or, or it's, but, it, but it's interesting to me what God does with Jonah in the midst of giving him this second opportunity. He says, "Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim to it the proclamation which I'm going to tell you." I mean, God is sovereign saying, "Listen, I am going to control this situation because I know how wayward your heart is. I'm going to give you the words to speak. God says to Jonah, I will give you everything that you need in which you will proclaim to them. Like I say, this indicates an emphasis of shifting from the reason or the motive of the commission to a divine controlled message for the messenger. And by the way, the church today has the same thing. You think about when we share the gospel, we are controlled by a divine message And foolish is the preacher or the church that goes outside of that or strips it away. The gospel is pure in the way that God has given it that we proclaim it and it alone. I get riled up on that because it's... it's, Listen, you're a sinner. You need saved. That's the simplicity of the gospel. And yet we want to navigate life in such a way that we don't want to offend people's hearts. Listen, your sin offends God. You need grace. You need a Savior. And we're so wrapped up in this idea of thinking that I just want this to be shared in such a way that there's, there's milk and cookies at the end. I'm never more thrilled and yet never more disheartened when I interact with people who say, I've been to your services. You share a hard message. And we don't like that. I want to remind them that, listen, this is not my message. I mean, if it was my salvation, I already know what I would do. You'd have to be a Bronco fan. (laughs) Love peanut butter and drink milk. That's salvation according to Bear. (laughs) But not God. And rightly so, why? Because we offend God. Our sin transgresses against the holiness of God. He controls the message in such a way that, that you think about it, he says, at least what's given to us, he says just a sentence and the people weep. And they repent. And they believe. The message is all divine. Yahweh does not give Jonah a free hand to craft his own message nor does he give the preacher today to do the same. God is sovereign on exactly what he wants Jonah to say. God is sovereign over what he wants the preacher to say. God is sovereign over this is my inspired word, which by the way is the only thing besides your soul if you're in Christ Jesus that is eternal. Why? Because God knows that his word will not return void. He knows that the word of God will, will pierce the heart of the listener. I mean, this is pretty remarkable. And when you think about what's going on, Jonah goes there and he, he calls for this repentance. 40 days, you have 40 days, and the will be overthrown. And yet, God is working behind the scenes, isn't he? He's already prepared a nation, a city to, to, to repent. It wasn't that the Assyrians had no interactions with prophets. They had their own false prophets. They no doubt have been watching Israel and and watching things that are going on around them. And yet when a prophet of the living God comes, the prophet of the only living God comes, their ears pick up, their hearts are attuned, and they confess their sin and repent and believe. The word of God has that much power to change people's lives. I think what what the apostle Paul said in 2 Timothy 3:16 and 17, a very familiar verse for all of us, very, these two verses all scripture is inspired by God. That word inspired means that, that God breathed out the scriptures and is beneficial for teaching, for rebuke, for correction, for training in righteousness so that the man or woman of God may be fully capable, equipped For every good work. In other words, the word of God, the voice of the Lord, has the power to change and influence people's lives. It has its own strength to do what best honors the living God. It has the power to break down our disobedience, beloved. You ever notice that? I mean there's a joy to go to the scriptures in the morning and study it but there's also a kind of a cringing because you're going to the living word and you know that that light is going to shine, shine darkness onto your own heart oh not to be callous to that beloved but to receive that and to allow the word and the purity of the word to search our soul so as to be cleansed from all unrighteousness it has the power to break down our disobedience. And if you think about it, this is exactly what happened to Jonah. We noted last time that the significance of all the psalms that came back to Jonah's mind as he recounts the goodness and kindness of the Lord. And yet, despite his initial disobedience to God's word, God in turn took Jonah's disobedience to awaken his heart with the word of God. That's what I love about the Reformation. There's a lot to love about the Reformation when you think about church history. But one thing that they did during the Reformation is that they took the pulpit that was over there and brought it right here. Why? Because of this. The fact that the centrality and the superiority of the Word of God as being something of value that is not a side thought, but it is the thought that changes our thoughts and our motivations and direction. Here was Jonah, a noted self, fair, self-righteous Pharisee, and the Word of God comes and it just kind of racks his praying in such a place so as to get Jonah repenting and coming back. This is what I love about our God. We studied the whole idea of Jonah running away, thinking that he's going to get away with it, and yet God says no. There's going to come a time where I'm going to put my finger, my holy finger on your area of sin in your life. And it's going to hurt you, Jonah. But yet in that, I'm going to awaken your heart, point out your sins, and show you what is holy, righteous, and good, to which Jonah screams that salvation is from the Lord. Can I say it this way? God's Word doesn't suggest that you chain and obey. God's word demands that you change and obey. Jonah, in his sinful heart, had no compassion, no sympathy for the Ninevites. He didn't want to go there. He did not want to share the compassion of this great God who will gather sinners unto himself. For that matter, Jonah would rather die. We noted all this. This is his heart movement on the ship, desiring to go down the hole. He would rather die than to see sinners saved. Listen, we live in a, in a, in a day and age where i got to guard my heart instead of vengeance and wrath on the way that the world is going, do I have compassion for their souls? We know the outcome of the unbeliever. We know condemnation and judgment will come for them. And the greatest thing that we can do is pray for those who are around us who have all these weird ideas, sinful ideas, May our hearts be softened to the reality that when you hear that stuff, that you're moved with compassion to show them salvation in Christ. I think sometimes we, just like Jonah, need a heart change at times. We need to be broken and understand the life in its in the scope of eternity. That's what I love about Jonathan Edwards who, who said, you know, I just wish that I would stamp or tattoo the etern- internal aspect of God that every time he opened his eyes, he could see eternity through what he's seeing. Do we look past to what is there today for what is about to come upon every unbeliever, every sinner? this is the equipping grace that sometimes we often need that we, we love God's wrath when, it, when it's especially pointed at somebody that we don't like. Listen, if it wasn't for the grace of God you'd still be in that crosshairs. Do I think the church needs to be bold today? Absolutely. Do I think the church needs to stand on the truth of God's word? Absolutely. Listen, the church is not meant to hide. The church is meant to be a light. To proclaim the goodness and the grace and the mercy of Christ. This is the God of second chance. This is the God who, who, who continues to direct our souls to understand the significance of what's going on. We know that the whole world is going to go to a one world order. We know that doesn't mean that we don't fight for righteousness. doesn't mean that we don't stand for righteousness. But that's the end result, right? One world, one religion, one antichrist. It's all going that way. Yet, in the midst of this, may God turn the hearts of disobedient sinners to grace, to mercy, and to save people's souls. I mean, it's just remarkable when you think about this in light of this narrative of what God is doing here with Jonah and all the things that he does to get Jonah's attention. And it came to the very end whereas he was thrown overboard and, and, and just going to the depths of the, of the ocean, the sea there and his heart is awakened. Again, not to treat his sin lightly. Have yeah, ever thought about this? I don't know about you, but I, I think of this. If the book of Jonah, and we know it's inspired, here it is. And in Jonah chapter 1, verse one, uh, verse 1 and verse 2, if Jonah would obey in the book, probably a little bit of detail on, on the whole idea of what happened in Nineveh, and God receives the glory for that. But of course, that's not the case. And I think it speaks great to our own souls as we find Is it better to serve ourselves than it is to serve the living God? Nothing can stop the purposes of God in your life. And this is so helpful to understand not even your own sin. Nothing can stop the purposes of God in your life, even your own sin. Yes, your sins need to be confessed, they need to be forgiven, they need, you need to be get right. But understand that God uses broken vessels for his great glory. And that's what we see here in Jonah. That is the message of this great salvation. All of us are sinners who have repented and turned to the living God. At least most of us here. And we're in awe of this. This is exactly what Romans 5.20 says. The law came so that the transgression would increase. That we would recognize it. There's a reason why there's ten commandments. There's a reason why there's a holy God. All that to point out our sinfulness. But Paul goes on to say, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. His mercy is more. His grace is more. It is this supernatural, abundant grace. I mean, how many adjectives can I throw at it? It's just remarkable to think about. It's this grace from Christ, this side of the cross, we understand that. And may we never tire of it. This great grace, this great wisdom, this great example of our Lord. He can make our experiences, even rebellion and disobedience against Him, serviceable again. Yes, He wants a broken, contrite spirit. Yes, He wants somebody who has a heart after Him. I mean, there's so much application here. And I think about our time here, but there's so much going on here. You may find yourself, can I just say this? You might find yourself running away from God. You might find yourself in a situation where you think that God has given up on you. And let me tell you this morning, that's not the case. God is not tired. He runs the marathon for eternity. He will come after you. And if God has gotten your attention, the simplicity of that is repent, confess, and get right with God. That's the simplicity of it. I I think I just got a letter the other week from a prisoner. He's been listening to us on the radio and he's been saying, I, I got questions about this grace that you talk about. I mean, God's word even travels behind the bars of prisons where the criminal is shut up from the rest of the world. We might have, might feel, by the way, your feelings deceive you often. Don't trust your feelings unless it aligns itself with the truth of God. But you may have felt that there's no hope for you. and That's not the truth. If you are Christ, if you have repented and believed in the saving work and atoning power of Jesus Christ on the cross and believe in his resurrection and ascension, there is great hope for you. Why? Because you are his. He's bought you with a price. He's bought you with the blood. A precious blood of his son. So much so that Paul says in Romans 8.1, he reminds us of this great truth when he says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you are Christ, this principle is for you. He goes on, and what a great chapter, right? Romans chapter 8, 28, 30, you probably know this, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good, even those things that we do, right? Even our disobedience. God causes all things to work together for good for those who love God to those who are called according to his purposes. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. Listen, you, if you're in Christ Jesus, you will not escape his grasp. I mean, think about those verses and the theological understanding of all that's happening and what God does, predestined, called, bring. He knows He's omniscient. He knows whose are His. And He will bring it to pass. And He will glorify Himself in you. Listen, that's the message of hope that we proclaim anyway. Why? Because God is a God of second chances. Evangelism. He gives Jonah the equipping grace and the, the kindness of his own, own soul to give Jonah this second time the Word of God to go. And Jonah obeys. He equips him to go and be an evangelist. Why? Because he's just learned about grace in his own soul. To a depth that he never has experienced before. Doesn't mean that he didn't see the grace of God. Of course, he was a prophet of God, he knew and saw the hand of God in the nation of Israel. But as often the case, theology becomes really real when there's life happenings and life situations. Knowing that God is a God of second chances, Jonah is restored by God's sovereign grace. Then what lies ahead are events which God intends to bring grace to life, and this is what's remarkable. And you think about this. It was a, alluded to myself when I was studying in seminary. We had a discipleship lab, and for over five months, the, the the professor who's with Christ today, he kept on preaching this whole idea of of you gotta die, Barry. You're gonna to die to yourself. Listen, I just got a wife. I want to live no, do you understand something? You've got to die to yourself so that others may live. You must deny yourself, pick up your cross, and serve people knowing that out of death, men will receive life. Will you be a fisher of men? Will you? And I think that's a great problem of the church today, especially in America, because we are, we are so comfortable with our lives. Will we deny ourselves, pick up our cross, which means suffering, and proclaim the message of hope? This life-death paradox, by the way, can awaken a church in such a way that sets a city on fire for Christ. When we realize that if I get myself out of the way and deny myself and look at the glory of Christ and all that I do, that Christ can move in people's hearts. There's a lengthy passage here in John chapter 12 that I want to draw your attention to. Six verses. You can look to the screen. It explains a scenario much like we see in Jonah. Now there were some Greeks among those who were going up to worship at the feast. Greeks identify with Gentiles, Right? These then came to Philip, who was from Bethesda of Galilee, and began to ask him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip came and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip came and told Jesus. Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much he who loves his life loses it and he who hates his life in this world will keep it to to eternal life if anyone serves me he must follow me and where I am there my servant will be also if anyone serves me the father will honor him there's so much out there to be said as far as gimmicks and how to to share Christ how to win people for the Lord Listen, it starts with you. It starts with us dying to ourselves, desiring to understand to have the Lord as the center of what we say and do. Fruitful evangelism is understanding this principle that you think of others, their soul, their conditions, their needs, than yourself. is when we come to proclaim Christ's death and His power and showing and relying, even though we're falling in this principle of dying to self, we look to the One who died to and for our sin. Why? So that we may have life. Eternal life. Jonah was sharing in in the fruit of Christ's future death. I mean, it's just interesting to see all this is, of course, pre-cross. And he's pointing to the reality of what God is going to do. And and, and throughout the scripture, it says, I must die. I must die in order for you to live. Paul grasps this life-death paradox in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, where he says in verse 7 through 12, he says, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels. So we... So that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not despairing. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body of the dying of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifest in our mortal flesh so that death works in us but life in you. That principle is the heart of a servant. Dying to self, allowing Christ to, to show himself. Pointing to the one that, that brings eternal grace. And yes, what's remarked about this It's just the simplicity of of the message of Jonah and the clarity, and just the small sentence that is given to us about uh, judgment is coming. He doesn't even tell them to repent, he just says, 40 days, Nineveh will be overthrown. And yet, Jonah was the instrument and the tool in the hand of God to pierce the heart of those who received the message. That's what's remarkable. The call is for us to be faithful to the message faithful to our Savior, and allow God, which by the way, he does a better job than you can, to change a heart. Present the truth. Live the truth. Show the truth. In other words, you live in such a way as you deny yourself and you point to the one that can save them. Once Jonah figured this out, yes, reluctantly, we see that in chapter 4, he's not happy with the fact that God still saved them. But, He recognized God's salvation not only in his own soul, but it caused him to go and be obedient so as to go to this Gentile city. Look again with verse 3. It says, So Jonah arose, went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three days walk. Now there's some questions on that. You can study that on your own, but just real quickly, is he saying that Nineveh is a three day walk around the city? I don't think that's the case because what follows in verse 4, because he was going there to proclaim to the whole city. Verse 4 tells us that then Jonah began to go through the city one day's walk, and he cried out and said, and so the the reality is is that Jonah has vomited up on dry land, and so three days walk to, to Nineveh. So he's purposeful to go three days to go to Nineveh and to proclaim this message. Again, I've been pointing this out, the simplicity of the message. It was simple, it was straightforward, it was direct. We live in a day and age where when we proclaim the gospel, it is it's offensive. It is. It's inclusive. This message says there's only one way, one life, one truth especially in a day and age that wants everything exclusive, right? Everybody can have whatever they think and do whatever they want to do. This is why the world does not like the church or the truth of the church. Because we are pointing out their sins and we're calling, their sin is calling them to repent and in need of a Savior. Jonah was able to proclaim the very fact that they were sinners and needed to repent or die. Either repent or turn to Yahweh. We can surmise this, like I say, if you look at verse 5, which we will, Lord willing, look in a couple weeks, but then the people of Nineveh believed in God and they called a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. It's remarkable when you start looking at these other verses, not only did the, the people of Nineveh Believe, but they showed act of repentance, and that's exactly what they're doing when like by putting on a sackcloth. Those words, simplicity, clarity, brought the power of God's word to a soul that it not only condemned sinners, but it also gave them hope to turn, to believe, to have hope. They needed to repent and believe. And beloved, that's the simplicity of the gospel. Repent and believe. Our time is gone, and I want to be respectful of that. But there's a lot here. There's a lot going on in a a short narrative of of five verses. There's a lot that you can take away from today's passage. Uh, And I've been trying to point them out to you as we've gone along. Listen, God is a God of second chances. Let me just say it this way it's better for you to obey the first time, it's easier, it's more delightful. But if you find yourself running away and loving your sin, at least in a period of your life, listen, God is a God of second chances. He says, I will let you go as far as I want you to go, and I will draw you back. If I bring my hand of discipline, according to Hebrews, I will bring it. Well, listen, you have been saved by the blood of my son, and I will hold you, and I will keep you. Another takeaway. You've already heard me say, is denying yourself, understand the significance of the gospel, the way that the church can be on fire for the Lord, is by denying self and sharing Christ. We pray for revival, and I think that we need to be redirected, uh, redirected. let me say it this way. For revival to happen, repentant sinners need to come to Christ. It's important for us to understand that. And it starts with us denying ourselves, getting out of the way, and serving the Lord with great passion and fervor. Listen, once we understand that, you'll be a man or a woman of God on fire for him. Why? Because this world doesn't matter. You understand that they can take your life, so what? That's what I think the world is so afraid of, is the fact of a man of God who can stand, a woman of God who can stand in such a place and says, you know what? This is righteousness. Thus saith the Lord. This is what the Lord says. This is salvation. The world does not know what to do with that. They might respond by taking your head. But so what? You can have this body. I think I've already passed a warranty on this, right? I want a new one. If we can be so emboldened to the reality that we can look to heaven and to the word of God through the power of the Spirit to be able to walk in such a way that this world kind of fades, we'll be a church on fire. Your eternity is set because of the blood of Jesus Christ. So what what the world does. And they're coming. They're coming. And may they come, but yet may they hear to hear of the salvation that Christ offers. A lot going on here. I think you can process this as you continue to think through as our study and and yet out of this narrative there's much there to be said but it all starts with repentance. It all starts with this amazing grace of God. It all starts with this idea that God is not going to give us give up on us. That's the truth that we walk away with this morning let us pray Father again this morning we, we delight in your goodness and kindness your mercy is more your grace is abundant your forgiveness never ends and we thank you for that this is the God who is, is long suffering the scripture tells us who is patient with us who teaches us who even disciplines us for our good why? Because He loves us. So much so that He gave His only begotten Son. That who would ever believe on Him will not perish, but have eternal life. Father, You know every heart in this room. You know, every heart that is online watching this. Spirit, have your way with the soul. Take your word. May there be some who are finally come to the realization that they cannot continue to run away from you. Why? Because of your goodness and kindness and your pursuit of them. There's nowhere that we can go to hide from your face. So I pray for the one to stop running and to look to the living God who restores, who gives grace, who does all of this according to his character and his goodness and kindness. And Father, as a church, as people who have been called out of darkness into this great truth of marvelous light and grace and mercy, pressed upon our souls to deny ourselves so as to be a vessel in your hand to proclaim Christ to a world that desperately needs it. Yes, we know. Theology tells us that we know the outcome of where this world is heading. And yet, Lord, We pray that your grace and mercy is extended to even the unbeliever and the hardened heart of people. All this for your glory, for your kingdom, for your name to be named great. To which end we pray these things. In the Redeemer's name who has given us life, hope, redemption, forgiveness, and grace. We pray in Jesus' holy name.
0: Thank you for listening to the Magic Valley Bible Church Sermon Podcast. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.mvbibletf.org or Facebook at facebook.com mvbible or YouTube at youtube.com mvbible.